This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and today I welcome Simon Davis Barry back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Simon originally joined us last year to give us his showrunner origin story. I don't think I said it in that way at the time, but I think that pretty much captures it. Showrunner origin story. At the time, he was newly returned from Spain, having just wrapped on Warrior Nun. And we spoke about the experience of filming Warrior Nun in very general terms. Well... Today, we're going to get specific, very, very specific about season one of Warrior Nun. So if you don't like spoilers, save this episode for after your binge watch. Warrior Nun is, and I can't wait to tell you what it is. Warrior Nun is an action-packed sci-fi feminist fantasy horror coming-of-age travel adventure series set against a backdrop of religion and science and faith. And seriously, Simon, that does need to be a category on Netflix. (laughs) The show is based on the comic book series Warrior Nun Ariala by Canadian comic book artist Ben Dunn. And tells No, he's not Canadian. He's Texan. Wikipedia lied? Ben's from San Antonio, Texas. Then why does it say Canadian in his Wikipedia? I don't know. Maybe he's Canadian, but he lives in San Antonio and he has a strong Southern accent. No way. Maybe he is Canadian and I just don't know. It's possible that I don't know. I can email him while I'm talking to (laughs) you and find out. I actually like that fact check. I can send you the... Okay, let's get through. We will get through this. We're going to do some (laughs) real-time fact checking. Um, It does say Canadian, though. Is it because the publisher is in Canada? I don't know. Antarctic Press, I think it's called. I was so excited. I'm like, I got the name of the comic book series. I got the... Okay, well, anyway, wherever Ben Dunn is from, his comic book series tells the story of the Order of the Cruciform Sword, a fictional, or is it, military order of badass nuns in the service of the Catholic Church. Ten episodes of Warrior Nun dropped on July 2nd, and almost immediately, it became everyone's newest obsession. It's smart, it's funny, it's terrifying, it's packed with fascinating characters, all of whom are clearly icebergs with riveting stories yet to tell, and it explores the age-old battle between science and religion and the role that faith plays in both. So today, we're going to talk about as much of that as is possible in a podcast. The premise, the production, the execution, the reaction, and that ending, capital T, capital E. And maybe, just maybe, Simon will drop a crumb or two about where he's going to take us next. Simon Davis-Berry. Hi. Hi, Sabrina. Welcome back to the podcast. 
It's so good to be back. I mean, I, I wish I was with you in person, of course, but uh, this is the next best thing. <sighs> okay, so Simon, I promise I'm not going to do to you what I recently did to Dennis Heaton and Shelley Erickson and spend the first few minutes shrieking about that season finale. I've learned my lesson. It's not the best listening for people, uh, even though it's cathartic for me. But I will congratulate you on one phenomenal show. Thank you. Thank you. That's, That's the interview. very nice to hear. I'll, I'll share that with all the other people responsible. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's very nice. Thank you. Before we continue, I do. I've been starting every every episode during the pandemic asking from my heart. How are you? How are you doing, Simon? Oh, I mean, it's been a very interesting uh, couple of months for sure. In a strange way, being a writer uh, and working at home has prepared me for covid in a ways that I never really (laughs) appreciated, Um, because, you know, as a screenwriter and as a as someone who spends a lot of time um, thinking and working in solitary, uh, I get to spend a lot of time not working in solitary as well, but it is kind of, um, I guess I, you could say I was mentally prepared for this better than most because- Yeah, you know how to do this. <laughs> I know how to do this. I know how to have like, you know, I'm stuck at home, I have stuff to do. Um, uh, and so, and not living like a crazy social lifestyle as a result of that anyway, because of work. So. It's been not, I pro- probably not as shocking to my system as it has been for a lot of other people. Yeah. And of course, as a writer, I have the added benefit of really being able to continue to work through it. Yeah. Um, whether that's uh, writing uh, for myself or other things, but also um, the function of you know the business allows me to collaborate in ways over Zoom and, and email in the ways I sort of did anyway. So it's, yeah. it's uh, obviously it's disruptive to the, to the, the larger social fabric. And I, I empathize uh, immensely with people who've been, who've been lost their jobs, uh, who are forced to uh, be in a situation they don't want to be in, who obviously I'm people with young kids, um, all of that. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm supremely, um, uh, sympathetic, and I feel for them because it's been uh, upheaval in the, in the most uh, dramatic way you can imagine. It's almost like a science fiction story come to life in the mm. worst way. And um, but I also know that a lot of people have taken advantage of the situation to do deep dives in terms of self care and mm-hmm. and thinking deeply about what's important and reprioritizing things in their lives that like connection and family and friends. So uh, on those on that front, I think I, I totally see the, the the little silver lining of it in terms yeah. of how some people have manifested things out of it. But in general, of course, I wish the world were back to normal in, in so many ways. Yeah. You know, what's amazing, though, you did spend like half of last year away from home, right? Yeah, you, you were in Spain, exactly. so now you've gone from being away to not being able to leave. Yeah, <laughs> how much um, that has like contributed to you being able to deal with what's going on now? Well, yeah, I'm definitely used to sort of these big tumultuous changes in lifestyle. That's part of the job. So, yeah. and adapting is kind of what all movie people do all the time. We're con- we're always in this um, unknown place. Uh, in the industry, whether you're an actor, a writer, uh, a crew, someone who works in the crews, uh, uh, as a technician or an artist, you it's it's a constant adaptation. Um, 
And so that, in a weird way, get, makes you a little bit more prepared for these big things where your routine is never a routine anyway. Mm. Um, most people, you know, that I know in the industry, they don't have a routine of, of normalcy. It doesn't exist. So this it's a gig economy. Switch. It's like one of the most totally. longest running gig economies yeah. that there that there is. So for me, it feels like, OK, well, we'll adapt just the way we've adapted to other situations. And, you know, obviously adapting to being in Spain for six months is a lot easier than than COVID. Um, but you know, it's, again, it's, I guess in my psyche, I just feel like, Oh, well, here's another, here's another strange new thing I'm going to deal with. So I'll just deal with it. Amazing. Amazing. And we're going to talk a bit more about Spain and about COVID, uh, a bit later. I mean, if we manage to get to the 300 questions, uh, that I have. Okay. But first I got it wrong. This is what the first sentence says. Uh, Warrior Nun Ariala is a manga-style Canadian comic book character created by Ben Dunn. So I guess the character is considered Canadian, but that is not. Ariala. Yes. There you go. Wow. Okay. I didn't know Ariella was Canadian either. You can work it in and the, well, there you go. Not our Ariella. <laughs> our Ariella is definitely not Canadian. Yeah. Canada didn't exist when her, she was around. Okay, I want to talk. So this is actually my, this gets into really that first question. Why Warrior Nun? I mean, because Warrior Nun existed, you know, this was IP that existed, you know, before you you were show running this show, um, at least the premise did, you know, so what was it about the Warrior Nun premise, concept, universe that drew you in and made you say, I want to dedicate my time and energy to this. I want to be well, away you know, from Vancouver for six months. You never pick one project ever to kind of determine your fate. I'm constantly juggling half a dozen potential shows. The trick is you just don't know which one is going to capture the imagination of the of the buyers. I'm always only putting those six on the list because I'm interested in them for one reason or another. And Warrior Nun got on the list mainly because it was so out there and different, but still had uh, genre um, cred. And yeah. I thought also had a real fresh take on female superhero model and the, and the tropes. So when I was presented, I mean, it's actually a very Vancouver story because um, it was presented to me while I was writing this show you may never have heard of called Ghost Wars. Um, I was writing, I was working Do on I Ghost Wars. Do I even need to defend Ghost Wars I know, to just you? Kidding. I'm just joking. But I know that it's a mystery out there to a lot of people. I so love Ghost Wars. So I'm working on Ghost Wars and an old friend of mine, a uh, producer named Dean English, who produced the movie Kissed um, with Molly Parker and, yes. and also has produced um, some animation in the past. And he and I were... Basically, we were college roommates, but when I was living in Kitsilano with Stephen Hedges and Greg Middleton, hmm. Dean was living on the floor below us. Oh, my God. And so we became friends while we were in school. And Dean was in the was wanted to be in the music business at that point, but then he ended up in film. And then he moved to Paris. And so Dean and I had always been in touch and tracking each other's work. And then he called me out of the blue, really, while I was doing Ghost Wars and said, I have this movie property based on a graphic novel called Warrior Nun, oh. and I need help because the script isn't, the movie script isn't at the place I need it to to get the movie going. Would you help me and look at it or give me notes or even rewrite it? And I was like, well, Dean, I always love to help my friends, and but I'm in the literally in the middle of the show, uh, so it won't be at the top of my list of things to do, but I promise you I'll 
do my best. So eventually in the sort of the five minutes here and there I had, I would look at it and read the script. And then I tried to do a, a rewrite for him um, as a favor. And I realized really quickly that this was like so much mythology, so much of a world yeah. from the comic books that it just wasn't possible to do it in 100 minutes. It just didn't make sense to do. So I just went back to Dean and I said, why don't you do this as a TV show? Because that way you can actually enjoy the mythology and the, the world building and still have time for characters and story. And he said, okay, well, that's great. And I said, well, why don't you let Steve and I who we have our own our production company why don't you let us kind of see, test the waters with it and see if there's an appetite so post um ghost wars i was in la pitching netflix and it was one of the it was one of the kind of broad stroke ideas i had was bringing up in the lunch and the executive from netflix immediately leaned forward when i said the word warrior none i mean just like was like yeah. what's that and as, as soon as that happens and someone leans in and you can see sort of the, the light dancing in their eyes, you know, you've got something that's going to react. The audience is going to react the same way. Yeah. And they're going to be like, warrior nun. What is that? I want to know what that is. So I pitched him sort of the television version that we had adapted essentially from the movie version, which was adapted from the comic book. And the executive was like, OK, that's something I can see on Netflix. Let's mm. let's continue this conversation and expand into a pitch. Yeah. And so really it was, it was legitimately kind of dropped in my lap yeah. by a friend. And no. then I took it the next step. Did Ava exist at that, t at that time? Like, cause I, like in, from in, what I understand yeah. in the comic books, they're about sister Shannon, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So Ava was a, was a construction of the script of the movie script to sort of bring in an outsider into the into the uh, order of the cruciform sword, someone who didn't know all the other warrior nun stories were really from an insider's perspective. Yeah, and for as a television writer and someone who writes a lot of pilots, sometimes a, a kind of a weapon we use as writers is to create um, an audience avatar for something that is like this, that is a big world that is strange and unusual, yeah. has rules. And you don't want to sort of dump that on an audience. Thank you. Right, all at once. <laughs> you want to have someone who is like the audience, who's like, what the fuck is going on here? I don't understand. And so having a character that is strange to this allows you to bring in all of this mythology and all these rules and stories in a way that it's, it forces you to be doing it in a, in a digestible kind of you know forgiving way because this character that you've created in this case it, you know the evolution i would say of ava from the ava in the movie is not the same ava that we created for the tv show yeah. but as a function of us like as a as a mechanism it is the same idea of someone who is not an insider learning about this crazy world and it's you know it is nuts so it you is need interesting that. that you use the word weapon simon because i did i did tweet today <laughs> You replied to it about um, about characters that I think any character named Lilith on a yeah, <laughs> but like on a Netflix show needs to like you know you in danger girl you're going to hell but um to brilliant effect but I'm just curious about the kind of like what kind I mean uh, in the Dennis Heaton episode he talked about uh, marching orders from Netflix were there were there anything that for your show that Netflix said that they, they wanted to hit any tropes they wanted you to avoid like you know what kind of guidelines were you given at that stage well much like the order uh, we got the same kind of 
I guess it's driven by the algorithm is to sort of build a season to a climax that is unresolved Mm -hmm. in a way that makes the audience hate you. (laughs) Look, I I love you and hate you right now. Okay. But that is definitely a Netflix. uh, (laughs) That is a Netflix uh, calling card, you know, and you you don't have to, you have to watch Warrior Nun or The Order to know it. You can watch any of their shows that are originals and you know that they are very, they're very keen on making sure the audience, um, wants the next season badly. And it's a scary thing, but also sort of an encouraging thing because Netflix has the power to uh, grant that in a way that a lot of other companies don't. So you do, when when the company tells you, here's what we think audiences want, they're not just making that up. They're they have an, an amazing ability to sort of mine this data and this viewing habits. And they can tell you down to the minute of like what these things in these shows are working and what aren't based on how the audience tunes in or tunes out, wow. how many they watch, what point in an episode they stop watching. So this is this is sort of how they, they um, I guess you could say, uh, frame a lot of their creative arguments because it is based on on what they do and how they measure everything. So we did get a few, I wouldn't say they're marching orders. I think what they do tell you is they'll tell you how to do it. They don't tell you what story or what character to use. They just say these type of things are important to viewer enjoyment. Yeah. And so you do get things like, um, uh, you know, teases of things where they say, if you do this in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the show, it will help you keep your audience. If you do this at a certain point midway, your audience will da, 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 da. So it's a little bit prescriptive, but it's not prescriptive in a way that makes you feel like, oh, they're telling me what to write, yeah. telling me how to be a writer. They're really just sort of saying, we've analyzed a lot of shows and we've learned these things. And so you can use this if you want, or you can, you know, if you want to push back. But, you know, you, it's very hard to sort of, you, you would r- much rather find the creative satisfaction of doing it the right way than just saying, oh, I'm not going to do that at all. Because watch, especially a show like Warrior Nun, we're not that show where we're sort of saying, oh, there are all these things we can't do. I mean, it's Warrior Nun. We can do, we, we have an open, you know, we have kind of have a lot of flexibility. You did everything. And I, I just was thinking about Netflix analyzing my personal watching of the show. It was in like a day. Like I watched everything and then I watched the ending. Like... 10 times in a row and I'm sure I'm not alone in that um before we talk about the ending I want to talk about the process of bringing like bringing these stories and these characters to life like take us into the warrior nun writer's room like how would you describe its energy and was there anything any themes or characters or stories that were divisive in the writer's room well, the writing room was unique for me because it was the first time I've worked in L.A. in the writer's mm-hmm. room and the first time I've worked with people I've never worked with before. So for the bulk of my career, I was working with people I'd, all, I'd, I'd worked with before, uh, especially because they were all writer's rooms that were in Vancouver. And so when uh, the decision was made that we were going to do the room in L.A., I had to kind of open my mind up to working with um, an entirely new group of people. Which was exciting. I mean, it was it was exciting in a good way and in a bad way because you didn't know who you were going to get. And sometimes there's a bit of comfort in knowing, oh, I can call all these people I know and I know they're good writers and I get along with them and they're and they're fun. Uh, and I didn't have any of that, so it was terrifying but also exhilarating. I had one contact in LA who I'd never worked with before, but who I knew socially, and that was Amy Berg. And Amy Berg's an amazing writer. She was the co-showrunner on uh, Counterpart. 
she's done tons of genre television and she's an awesome person she's just one of my favorite people i met her at the vancouver film festival on one of those panels and we just became fast friends so when this happened i called her and i said oh my god this is happening Uh, i don't expect you'll be available because you're in such demand but i need your help recommending other writers you know because i don't really know a big pool of of writers in LA yeah. and you do and she said well first of all I am available <laughs> and I was like what so I got Amy in the room immediately uh, which was a huge coup and then she really helped me build um, a very sort of uh, structured room of, of uh, veteran uh, middle and young uh, experience you know in terms of experienced writers that we could sort of populate with a real mix of people from different backgrounds, different points of view, different experience levels, and you know, and and because it was Warrior Nun, obviously with an emphasis on women, because I did, knowing that I'm a male showrunner on a very female-centric show, the the biggest mistake I could have made would have been to you know be as myopic as to thinking that I knew how this would play, yeah. and so I really wanted a strong cadre of female writers uh, around me and directors and creatives, which I ended up doing. So Amy was key to that. And so we pulled together, you know, a really nice mix, actually. It was um, uh, Terry Hughes, who had been a writer on The 100, um, who's now on Star Trek, and David Hayter, who's a feature writer who wanted to get into television. And he'd written Watchmen and the X-Men 1 and X-Men 2 and a lot of other things. And then... um, uh, Matt Bosak, who is who had been kind of a journeyman writer in staffs, and Sheila Wilson and Suzanne Kiley, and then it was just a real nice blend of you know of of experience, of points of view, of everything, and um, and diversity in terms of what we wanted to uh, get out of the show. I mean, yeah. we did have a bit of a clean slate, although we had the graphic novel. We were sort of throwing everything out, other than the title and the world that the graphic novel had conjured, which was this you know, the secret group of fighting nuns. Um, So we could start from scratch to a degree and the writers were all very open to that. And we did have a pilot. It was an unusual situation where I had set it up and sold it without a pilot script. And I had offered to write, once we had sold it, I said, well, I'll write the pilot now. And they were like, no, 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 no. Netflix was do the room. Let the pilot come out of that process, which is at first I was like, what? That's oh, OK. That makes sense, actually. So we did that. So we broke the story. Of all, the I mean, I know that it's not always that way, but it should be right. Because like sometimes you well, watch a pilot and then the tone yeah. is so different in episodes two and every and all the other ones. But I guess yeah, practically the, the pilot it can be that informs way. a lot. It yeah. can because it doesn't always work that way. But yeah, the old way of developing TV usually did result in a pilot script and sort of the pilot script then drove. The process. So Netflix is very different. They disrupt, and this is one way they disrupt. But it actually worked out for the best, I think. I think we got a better pilot out of the process because we could think about the whole season. Um, and of course, it's having a group of people working with you, contributing ideas, is always better than being by yourself. I think yeah. so. We could all sort of um, add value to the pilot and the season it was setting up. So the room was great because we knew we had um, this amazing kind of title that didn't didn't represent anything really specific and that we could defy expectations and by making the show a bit smarter and a bit more about 
things like you said, like, you know, subversion of, of religious, religious expectations in the show of feminist expectations of, uh, power uh, dynamics of patriarchy of science. We knew that, Oh, this show may come in looking like it's this and we can make it this. And that way the audience might go, Oh, I, I enjoy that much more than I thought I would because I didn't expect it to be this. And that's always a nice situation to be in. So the, uh, the writers and I were, kind of from the go we we moved very quickly and we had a real sense of what we wanted to pull out of the show yeah for the audience it's going to be you know for a smart genre audience i think and also but would appeal to everyone in a way um let's talk about the finale we're going to talk about (laughs) writing and characters and all that um one of the so at this point season two is still unconfirmed but honestly I'm assuming there's going to be a season two and we'll we will end the episode by you, Simon, telling all of us who love Warrior Nun what we can do to get our season two. But uh, this what what astounded. OK, I'm going to start stammering like I did in the in the order episode, because like I'm thinking about that the last 10 minutes. Unlike other shows, this this series chose to have multiple cliffhangers. Who is Adriel? Really? When and how and why did Father Vincent turn? What happened to Mary? Where did Michael go when he stepped through the Ark? Where did Lilith go? What happened to her? What happened to JC? What does the future hold for Ava and Beatrice? Honestly, Simon, I know that when I spoke to you during our very first interview way back on the set of the of Continuum, and you told me that in your mind, like you had like, you know, you already had like between five and seven seasons, you know, all all scripted out. Do you have answers to those questions at this moment? Um, what is going on in that head of yours? <laughs> well, when you when you put it that way, I, it seems like we're horrible people. The uh, worst. <laughs> all, of, all of those all of those hanging questions. Uh, yeah, I hate me right now. Um, Honestly, it's uh, it's a terrible thing. Um, well, yeah, the, we knew that we knew that you know that, that one of the goals of the show was to at the end to answer a lot of questions, which we did, but also to set up a bunch of new questions and keep the audience engaged. So um, I can't answer any of those because I don't know. But the the truth is, we did as writers, we did write season one knowing that we're hey we're working for Netflix. There is a good shot at this going to another season or more. Why don't we, at least now that we're building season one, plan for season two in a broad strokes way so that we're planting seeds that are going to go somewhere, that we have a journey that we can all at least talk about. And so we did we did on a very general level think about where we would like to see season two and potentially season three go. And but really in, in terms that wouldn't satisfy the audience, we were thinking in terms of like, what would the theme be? What would the arc be? Where would the end game go? And and so it was as, as much as the audience wants to know specifics about, you know, I mean, I know where Michael went. I know what happened with Adriel and Father Vincent and everybody. And I know how a lot of that's going to resolve. We weren't, um, we didn't want to also get too locked into things in a way that if things, once the show came out, were different than what we imagined they would be or they yeah. played differently, we didn't want to be hung, you know, sort of obliged to, to maybe deal with those things in a way that we didn't. So I, I think we were all happy that the show turned out as, as well as it did in terms of the execution, the actors are fantastic. The um, obviously the all of our all of our 
little things that you just mentioned, the, the small stories that were not part of the big story, created intrigue and the audience really did get uh, connected to those things and that's wonderful so of course we're gonna we're gonna do um we're gonna answer those questions if we get a season two um and but you know i uh i i would love to you know take advantage of the audience's goodwill too that Mm -hmm. we have right now and say that that's gonna you know we're gonna hopefully satisfy those questions with answers and, 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 and also pose new questions, you know, yeah. you better, <laughs> yeah. you better. Um, yeah. has there been anything, I mean, I've, it's been such a joy to, to follow all of the, the fan art and, um, the passion that, that is there for warrior nun. I mean, today you retweeted, uh, a trailer that somebody cut that like put as if the, as if warrior nun were a horror film. And it was like, it was brilliant. Has there been anything in the response that has surprised you? Um, well, I think the, and I don't know if this is sort of disproportionately weighed in the favor of people who are on Twitter and Instagram, you know, making comments versus the larger audience. I'm not sure what the, what the percentage is, but I definitely have been very moved by the response from the, um, the queer community in terms of how we've not only represented, but also kind of teased, um, you know, relationships and simmering affections. And and I think it's been nice getting we've had all the writers have gotten notes to this effect where uh, young women particularly have said, oh, you're this character of Sister Beatrice and her eloquence and her poise has given me the courage to come out to my friends or my parents. And that's really quite moving. Right. When someone tells you that and you're like, oh, my God, that's not obviously we don't ever write scenes like that or or build character development to. Uh, to, with that in mind, but when it happens, you kind of take a step and you go, "Wow, this obviously we did something right." If people are making connections with these characters in ways that help empower themselves, like we're just making drama, we're not trying to tell anybody what to do with their lives. But if you can somehow empower people to to um, act on their own instincts and something that's already there, that's lovely, and that's what hopefully we all get to do with our art in one form or another is to make people um, take action in a way for themselves, you know, in their own lives. So that's been really nice. And um, I think, you know, the artwork's insane. I I never really saw this happen with any other show I've been involved with where so many creative people are painting and drawing and making trailers and doing, you know, insane re- recuts and almost like music videos of footage pulled from the show. Yeah. But, you know, we that's the thing, too, with Netflix, that the show's in 190 countries. And, you know, there's like tens of millions of people who get to watch it. So you're getting this from Brazil, from Turkey, from India. I mean, we're huge in India, apparently. We're like a big hit in India. And so that's amazing and the philippines and brazil and so when you go through the just the variety of languages on 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 twitter which tends to be pretty biased against english-speaking countries it is nice when you see like at at a certain point in the day it's like wow there's like a lot of tagalog tonight on twitter regarding warrior nun or i'm getting messages on instagram from people that I have to translate from, you know, from Arabic. And it's 
wild. It's yeah. just very, very strange. It's very but it's heartwarming. nice. Yeah. I like to see that it's like I like that an audience that isn't doesn't look like me and sound like me is is connecting with these characters because I think yeah. these characters are, are are lovely in their own so unique way. Lovely. Um, and uh, speaking of Twitter, I'm going to ask you a few of the many Twitter questions uh, that I received. So this is from uh, from at Dark One of Damned. That's a great handle. Will we see anyone of Continuum or Van Helsing in Warrior Nun? I don't know. I mean, anything's possible. Yeah. Can't I mean, say, so- can't say definitively yes, can't say definitively no. But, you know, I mean, I shooting in Europe obviously uh, promotes us more in the European, you know, community of yeah. actors because they're there and uh, all the other complexities of having cast from, you know, who are not European with regards to work permits and COVID and everything else that may happen. But, you know, you never know. I, I, I hate to say never about anything because I'm always and I love my Vancouver actor friends from Continuum and Van Helsing and Ghost Wars. I mean, I'm always looking as I've done. I've always repeated, you know, whether it's Sharon Taylor or Ryan um, uh, or Terry Chan. I'm always trying to get, you know, my peeps uh, into the shows I work on. Yeah. Was there was there any Vancouver uh, like besides yourself as showrunner like you, you did visual effects in Vancouver, right? Yeah, we did all. We did most of the uh, edit. Well, we did all of the editing here. Yeah. The visual effects were done here, but we did the sound in LA, um, and the music was done in LA too. So we had like a little bit of Vancouver. It's funny because you know, obviously, I'm based here, and my production company, which was the production company on Warrior Nun, yeah. uh, we we were able to you know draw from other other talent that we know and present that to Netflix and go, hey, you should look at these people. These are, these people are supremely talented. And, and most of the time Netflix already knew them. Yeah. And we're like, oh yeah, those, those people are great. We love those people. So whether it was Todd Giroux who ran our post-production or Winston Helgelson who runs the embassy, they, we were, we had a very easy time convincing Netflix that we had like t- world-class talent here in Vancouver that could pull off what they were looking for. So that was fantastic. Okay. So a few people wanted to know if the relationship, the budding relationship between Beatrice and Ava was scripted in advance or if it was added once you saw that Alba and Christina had chemistry. No, it was all on the page. Yeah. So did you, before we cast them even before you cast, so you finished your writer's room, everything was done. Yeah. I guess you had to with a show like this before you were casting and before you went to Spain. Okay, my question, where do you stand on Jillian Salvius? Do you think, you personally, do you think she's justified in her research? I would argue unethical, but total. like I, by the end of, like at first I hated her. And then by the end I was like, I get it. I would build an arc based on my child's dreams. I get it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was the fun part of Jillian was we knew early on that we kind of had to tear up as the villain yeah. because we didn't have a villain. And we didn't really have the the, the uh, runway to get Duretti into a position early enough that we uh, and it would have been too easy to make him the villain so soon. Yeah. So it was much more fun to make Jillian appear to be the villain and then not be the villain. 
and then have everyone think, oh, Doretti's the villain, but he's not even the villain. And that way, subvert kind of the expectations of audiences who watch a lot of genre TV and, and do this. But by doing, by putting Jillian in that position, we did run the risk, as you said, when someone's doing something clearly unethical or on the line of ethical, we we have to kind of find a way to justify it. And I personally felt like Jillian's arguments were incredibly sound from day one. She wasn't rejecting religion or or the supernatural elements of religion. She was just saying, what if all these stories from the Bible and from and from scripture are actually true stories, but were not understood at the time? And now we have the science to say, oh, perhaps there are other dimensions, other universes using quantum science, using the new uh, science that we have. And we can sort of explain some of these mythological things like heaven and hell as being simply uh, scientific realities that that earlier uh, civilizations couldn't put into these words or into right. these terms. And, you know, there's an old saying that um, everything... Uh, anything scientific that is not understood would appear to be ma magic to any civilization, right? Yeah. Until you understand what it is, it looks like magic. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, Bible uh, mythology that is out there and, and, and otherworldly is definitely, you know, has the potential of having be or being something else potentially that just is was misunderstood. Yeah. So I just, and not, I don't want to come down on one side or the other of it. I just liked the idea that here was a character who was thinking, oh, because of her son, of course. Um, what if the what if religion is talking about things that are that exist, but they just don't understand uh, what they are? And I can figure out that there's measurable, and I think they are measurable, and that would then bond science and religion in a way, not yeah. exclude it. And so that was a fun character in the, the writers' room, of course, who represented all points of view, atheism and also belief and faith, we all had fun sort of speculating on that and how that would be received and what it would mean. And it was just really, I think, uh, a fun thing to do every day. It was to kind of come into the room and go, all right, how are we going to explain demons? You know, what's the, what's the logical <laughs> and angels and, you know, and, you know, life after death and heaven and hell. And it was just really like we were in this little toy box of our own sci-fi we're making yeah but we could do it in that box it's not like this would play in the real world ever but in our in the in the world of warrior none it was it was fun and jillian was the perfect perfect avatar for that because she's so brilliant i mean so beautifully performed first of all by yes. tecla and and articulate and never really deviates from her um her mission you know yeah. she's very very dedicated to what she's doing and when you discover why it makes total sense what kind of feedback have you received from religious people, from Catholics specifically? Yeah. None directly, not a single thing directly. But I have found on the on the internets, uh, like <laughs> a re I think there was a review in a Christian journal that said we were not very realistic. <laughs> you know what? That is fair. I was like. That's Guilty. fair. Fine. We're not trying to be realistic. Uh, it's warrior none. Um, but okay, uh, I'll take that. So, you know, look, religion is a lot of people like to use religion as a punching bag. We didn't really go out to uh, criticize the church at all. In fact, yeah. we have characters that represent the best of the church, the worst of the church, the best of humanity, the worst of humanity, whether they're in the church or not. We're not, we're not aligning 
one way or the other. Uh, we're just saying, hey, these things, these structures exist and people can be good or bad within them. Yeah. We don't decide that. Um, that's just people. And so I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people who of faith who have found the show and felt, oh, this show is totally fine. It's not saying anything, yeah. you know, bad about my it's belief not system. realistic. That's amazing. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was God. like... <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. But but that's true. It's true. Simon, do you have an avatar in the show? Like, is there somebody? I mean, you said that for a lot, that Ava really represents a lot of the audience coming in and learning. Um, yeah. And there are parts where she's smiling so gleefully at the end and be like, just game for anything. I'm like, that's so cool. Yes. I, I could see myself being like that in some situations. Like, is, is, <laughs> is, is, there, is, is, there, is, is there a character that represents you? Well, if you ask the uh, the writers and the cast, they'd oh. probably say, and the, and the directors, they'd probably say Doretti. Um, no. no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I've but seen probably. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, you always put a little bit of yourself into everyone. I mean, there's no there's no joy in me coming up with a character that's like me. That would be awful. Yeah. Um, or to see a little so, bit of yourself in one of the in one of the characters. Um, I, honestly, I can see a little bit of myself in all of them. Yeah. You know, I, I know I know there are oh, parts of me children. that are Lilith and Mary and in Beatrice and Jillian and Father Vincent. I mean it's Father the, Vincent. You're, you're definitely you know, and we're all doing that. All the writers are sort of you know, once we have the archetype in our minds, we all try to make it authentic by using something honest, you know. Yeah. Uh, Father Vincent hit me the hardest. That his uh his betrayal. <laughs> Have you, you know, it's there the entire show. It's in front of you the entire show that he is talking to Adriel. We shot a scene in episode two of him literally talking to Adriel and being caught by the girls. And no one notices it. I need to go back and then and later for that lens. He talks about the demon in him in the van when he's breaking down to Mary. He's talking about all of the stuff that he's essentially doing in the show yeah. and that he is bad. And it just goes by because no one's looking for that. And, I love characters um, like that. I so love characters people like who, that. People who watched the show the second time, and particularly a couple of the reviewers, have been like, "Oh my god, it's like you don't. It's right there. It's yeah. he's constantly manipulating the girls, the situation, everything, in order to uh, drive things to this conclusion." So that was fun. We knew that in the room that we had to make it, you know, bury it but put it there. And so I good. told, I told Tristan, I think the first day I met him in Malaga, I, I, he hadn't seen all the scripts at that point, but I said, you should know this is where you're coming from. And he was like, Oh, that's great. I need to know that. That's <laughs> awesome. Say no more. And I said, you don't, I don't really want you to tell anybody else yet until we start distributing the scripts, because yeah. if the girls know they're going to look at you and treat you differently than I potentially. So let's just keep it between us. So we had that secret um uh which was tons of fun which makes you adriel (laughs) (laughs) i guess so (laughs) so okay so uh simon i would argue that in some ways warrior done benefited from the covid in the same way that tiger king did the same way that the order did because so much of the audience was at home to binge and honestly also just like emotionally ready to escape into another world how do you think 
the pandemic is going to impact the series moving forward, either practically or even in terms of how you tell the story. Because I remember back in the day talking to you about Continuum, even though that was a time travel crime procedural, it was still inspired in some ways by the zeitgeist. And our zeitgeist right now, like, I can't, like, did you write the zeitgeist? <laughs> like, it's so yeah. fucked up. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I actually don't know yet what the answer to that is. I mean, I can obviously see the practical uh, changes about shooting and um, social management that that COVID is going to present, which just complicate our lives unnecessarily. I mean, necessarily, but, you know, compared to where we were before. Yeah. Um, Very it's differently, be a, vastly a different. Yeah. And it's going to change the tone of, of how we work and it's going to be harder. Um, at the same time, from a story point of view, I kind of agree with you that people don't want to see COVID represented in their entertainment too much. Mm -hmm. And I think that that drama especially escapist drama and genre drama is really there to make sure that you can get ghosts to a different place where those ideas and themes aren't what you're doing all day long. So personally, I would like to keep warrior nun like separate from the zeitgeist on that level. Um, I think that's better for the show um, just personally, but you know, Maybe the maybe the complications of shooting will force us to deal with it in some respects. I have no idea. It's, we're we're pretty far away from thinking about that yet. So uh, I'll have to get renewed first before I start stressing. And you know, and I'm not going to worry about something I don't have to worry about until I have to worry about it. But yeah, it's I guess efficient. I'm not going to worry about well, it until I have to. I like it. Yeah. Well, you, I could worry all day long then about everything, and I just don't have the energy. Yeah. To be honest with you, it's too many things to worry about. So um, I uh, I think that it'll change the way we make it, but I don't think it will change, hopefully, the, the content of the show. Fantastic. Okay, Simon, you kind of segued into my last question. I want more Warrior Nun. I know I'm not alone. What can fans do to help make this happen? Who do I need to talk to? Well, obviously, Netflix is the first, last, and middle of all of this. They they are the uh, the the empire. So we have to talk to them and say we want this. But honestly, the best thing people can do is watch the show and watch it again, and tell their friends to watch it. Because the more uh, traffic the show gets, honestly, the more Netflix is encouraged to renew it. And so I think fan engagement and and also the fans going on social media and sharing their love of the show that draws in other people it spreads the word but i think also netflix probably measures how much more none is being mentioned out there on social media as one of many forms of measuring how much impact or how much success the show has out there so yeah i think those are really the only things to do and, and while they're waiting i really encourage people who have already done this to you know work on fan fiction, mm. work on artwork, um, you know, contribute your thoughts to the, the universe in ways that are separate from the show, but also in the spirit of the show and, you know, keep the conversation going. I mean, I'm pretty good and the cast is really good about responding. Yeah. Uh, we, we're, we're all engaging with the fans and um, trying to uh, absorb it all and make comments and not answer questions about season two, <laughs> which we can't. So it's, you know, I think that's the fun part. And, um, and uh, I have a feeling that, you know, 
given the show was really under the radar before this, and now it's clearly found a, a, a decent audience, I, I would be surprised if Netflix didn't renew it. Um, uh, but you never know. I mean, you just don't know. And until I have it officially, uh, I'm just being optimistic, really. Yeah, well, we will all continue to, continue to do our part. Hashtag Halo Bearers, hashtag, what is it? A- Avatris, is that what was decided? Avatris wins. Yeah, Avatris <laughs> is the, definitely the shipping handle for uh, for Ava and Beatrice. And yet I hope CJ comes back. Okay, Simon Davis-Berry. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I just... It's just like the same way. I don't want answers. I want conflict. I want Avatris to happen. And then I want CJ to come back. And then I want it all to just kind of like go explode on my screen. I just want that kind of cathartic joy. Um, you're like, good. That'll be another weapon I use against all of my, <laughs> my fans. <laughs> no, I want to do. I would definitely want to be in that position and, and give you what you want. I, Thank you. That is that would make me very happy. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Simon, for this time. Where can our fans find you and follow you on the social media? Uh, Simon Davis Barry Davis with an S. Simon Davis Barry on Twitter and on Instagram. That's it. Thank you, Simon. And, and congratulations to you, Sabrina, for being, you know, for passing your 100th episode. That's kind of amazing, uh, number one. But number two, <laughs> it just goes to show you are a valuable and needed um, part of this community that uh, we all treasure. And I just wanted to say I appreciate you. And I'm really impressed with what you've done. I, I find your podcasts really informative. And I hope other people discover it and uh, learn as much as I now know about the Vancouver community. But everybody who... <laughs> Who loves you. Thank you so much, Simon. Did you hear what Roger Cross said about you in his episode? Yes, he said yeah. that I was scary. You have a scary I, brain. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a pussycat. You're a very, you know, you always gotta, you gotta fear the pussycats, you know, and the people who look calm on the outside. I mean, didn't you learn that from watching Warrior Nights? True, that's true. Yeah. All right, thank you. Maybe I am Vincent then. Maybe I'm Vincent. No, I still I still think you're Adriel, but we don't know who Adriel really is, right? Well, we don't we know. So who are you? I, well, we'll uh, we'll have this conversation after we get a season two and we make it and then we can talk about it in context. Yeah. 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 Actually, what I want to do, Simon, is you get season two and then I can come and fly over to Spain and I'll quarantine and then I'll just come and spy on you. Done. But I don't know how to do that without looking at spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard because I want to enjoy the show as well. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Thank you so much, Simon Davis Barry. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, you can find us on all the socials Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Yvair Screen Scene. Please join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. 
The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.